Hey guys, welcome back to Real Bearded News. I'm your host, Sean. And today, if you guys have been following my Instagram and my Twitter and my Facebook, which is all Real Bearded News, you know that I went to watch Us before it came out. Um, now, I made a post saying, hey, I'm not going to make a review until I watch it a second time. It was released yesterday, and that's exactly what I did. I went to go watch the 810 showing of Us, Jordan Peele's new movie, Us. Um, it's a mystery thriller. Uh, some might call it horror. I mean, it makes you feel uncomfortable occasionally. Um, but other than that, it's pretty dope. So we start off with um, with the Hands Across America little commercial. But during that commercial, as we're focusing into the commercial, we have a couple of things that we need to focus on. We have a TV stand, the old school 80s TV stand, 80s, 90s TV stand, where you put your movies and stuff, along with any other entertainment thing that you wanted to put on that thing. And we have a couple of VHSs that we should probably pay attention to. And number one would be Chud. Now, Chud is an old movie from the 80s as well. Um that discusses about underground dwellings and people disappearing because of these underground creatures. Uh, then we have The Goonies, which is a fun movie and again takes place in the underground, right? That's where um, the treasure was found. There's another one that says Thursday nights. Um, now, I did Google Thursday nights and clearly um, there wasn't much that popped up. So this is probably like some type of home video. And then I'm reading from left to right. From right to left, excuse me. So the very first video is, um, I think it's called the, I actually had to Google it. The Mysterious, The Man with Two with two Brains, which is a Steve Martin movie. Uh, he's a brain surgeon, uh, accidentally hits his gold digger Dolores Benedict with his car. He takes it upon himself to save her life using his own surgical technique. The two are soon married, but no sooner are the rings on their fingers, then the marriage begins to fall apart. While honeymooning in Vienna, her for her, which is uh, Steve Martin's character, is introduced to a reclusive scientist, Dr. Alfred uh, Necessiter, who practices some rather unorthodox procedures. Um, now, I didn't look much into that movie, so I'm actually looking into it right now as I'm speaking to you about it. Um, but it's interesting how this movie the all these movies are in relation to what's going on all right um so the man with two uh, let's see with two brains um it's about a story of a of a scientist where um he falls in love with his brain that telepathically speaks to him and he essentially needs to go ahead and get her a new body um and so stuff happens but nonetheless um Kind of like just the title, The Man with Two Brains, kind of brings you back to like what, once you watch the story, what it is, right? The next one is The Right Stuff on the right-hand side of the shelf, and then Nightmare on Elm Street as well. The Right Stuff is a movie, a 1979 movie, I believe, or a 1980 movie, about um, some military guys that, you know, started the whole going to the space things. And then Nightmare on Elm Street is Freddy Krueger, um, which he goes into your dreams and tries to kill you. Now... I say that these movies, all of them combined, tell you the story of us. A Nightmare on Elm Street, 
you know, uh, chud underground, uh, and all that good stuff. And the reason that I say this is if you guys have not watched the movie, uh, but you have heard of, um, you've heard Jordan Peele's interviews about us. We know that the villains of the movie are called the tethered. Now, when you tether something, it is pairing them and syncing them up. Um, at the very, very, very beginning, before we even get to this, uh, this shot of the video and the, of the videos and of the commercial, we see that, um, it says like, Oh, there are thousands or millions of tunnels under the United States. Some of them are old subway stations. Some of them are this others. We don't know what they were used for. Um, so right off the bat, we know that this is kind of a movie that's going to discuss. And again, if you saw my Instagram, the day of watching the advanced screening of us, we assumed, and by we, I mean me, and a little bit of Andre while we were talking, we assumed that the movie was going to be about how we, the minority, hurt our own selves. And the movie, yes and no, is about that. It's kind of both, and it's kind of hard. Um, so let's get into this, okay? So we start off with a child, which we get to know that is Adelaide, is in um, Santa Cruz on vacation with her parents. Now, right out the gate, we can see that um, Adelaide's parents aren't the, I don't want to say they aren't the best parents, but they're not okay with each other. Uh, he drinks a lot and... Um, the mom is just not okay with it. So it's a very different dynamic of a family that they have. So Adelaide's mother tells her, hey, let's uh, let's go to the bathroom. Adelaide's like, no, I don't want to go. Um, and then she tells Adelaide's father to watch her while he's playing whack-a-mole. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching. Um, he wasn't. And Adelaide just walks away. And as Adelaide is wandering off, uh, there's a couple of things that it's important to note. Number one, we see a homeless dude with a sign uh, that says Jeremiah 11, 11. Now, I went ahead and I looked up Jeremiah 11, 11, which says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And although they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. So that's Jeremiah eleven eleven. Um so she walks through past him, he walks past a couple that's playing rock, paper, scissors, and the girl keeps kicking the dude's butt in rock, paper, scissors, and then gets to the beach. And then in the far away we see a thunderstorm. And then as she's about to enter the house of mirrors, it begins to rain. Now let's pause. We understand as a movie analysis that anytime that we're seeing water in a film or rain, water, pool, whatever it is, depending on how it is shot, it is usually a reference to a birth. And this movie does it so subtly and so perfectly. Literally, as she is taking one foot in and the other foot is out. So as she's taking a step into through the doorway, right? So through the canal of birth, through this doorway, it is raining. It, it like is like a torrential brainstorm that's happening right as she's walking through. 
So I thought that was cool. I, that, the first time I watched it, I was like, that's awesome. I get it. What's happening? Um, so anyway, so as she's walking through this house of mirrors, there's an owl that pops out, scares the heck out of her. Um, and then the lights go out. The lights go out and she is now frightened and she begins to whistle the itsy bitsy spider goes up the water spout. Down came the rain and then she hears a very twisted whistling. And I call it twisted because it really didn't have a beat. It didn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't something recognizable. Whoever was whistling was either very disturbed or never heard music in their life. And then as she walks backwards looking around her, there is a reflection of her looking the opposite direction. But then she turns around and faces it. But the reflection did not turn because it's not a reflection. And then we see that she's looking at herself and her eyes widen. And then we cut to the present day where Adelaide um, is going to like... Uh, it's a summer vacation that they're taking and they're going up to what we end up finding out. It's um, her mother's house. Um, clearly her mom, Adelaide's mom, has uh, has passed away and it's been a while since they've been up there. Um, so Gabe, who is Adelaide's husband, um, Zora and Jason, they're all in the car and um, they're having a good time, you know, and they sit down and have some lunch and... Uh, in Adelaide's childhood home, which is not that far from the Santa Cruz beach. And there's something off. If you really pay attention, there's something off in this. Well, this is happening. Gabe, Zora and Jason, they're all eating what looks like, um, Oh gosh. Uh, that fish joint that everybody loves. Sir Arthur's. I forget what it's called. Long John Silver. Uh, it looks like they're all eating Long John Silver and she, in the other hand, is only eating strawberries. So it doesn't look like she's into uh, eating the same thing that they're eating. Which, now you're looking at like, it's a minor minor detail in the movie, but once you watch it, you start to understand that these are things that make her different. And her son has... Um, you know, probably a minor, minor autism, uh, some sort where he can't really um, communicate well with others, very almost like an antisocial. Um, I want to say he's on the spectrum, on the like on the higher functioning side. Um, and as you watch the movie, you'll understand what's going on with him as well. But they go. Gabe tells her like, Hey, we're going to go to Santa Cruz and Santa Cruz beach. And she is not okay with it. Um, it freaks her out and she's like, we're not going to go. And then he basically manipulates her to going saying like, you know, we haven't been here since, you know, grandma died and oh, Jason was excited and it'll be good for him. So because of her son and for the well being of her son, she is willing to put aside how she feels about going to the beach and goes. While they're at the beach, once again, we see that she is different from everybody else. We see that everyone else is drinking. 
And then she's the only one drinking water. Also, not that very social. So her son inherits that antisocial being kind of from her. Um, and they even discuss it. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm just not comfortable with conversation. Um, she's really into just being on her own and basically loves her husband, loves her kids. But that's as far as she's willing to to like communicate with people. That's also interesting. Uh, Jason essentially uh, roams away again, inheriting things from her mom, from his mother, uh, walks away and goes to the restroom and to a porter potty. And he passes the, uh, the mirror, the funhouse, the, the funhouse mirror place. And um, as she realizes that he's missing, he actually sees uh, someone holding their hand out all bloodied. And something that I skipped over is that as they are reaching the, the Santa Cruz beach, they get stopped. Uh, it's just like, not like they get stopped by the police, but the police are in front with an ambulance and they're halting traffic because they're loading a person up. And that person just so happens to be the guy holding the sign, Jeremiah 11, 11. Now, back to where I was at. So the son sees um, a guy just sitting there or standing there, I should say, with his hands open like if he was a scarecrow. His hands are bloodied. Now, Adelaide is going berserk looking for her son and Jason appears and she's just freaked out because she doesn't like the beach and she doesn't know what's going on. Later on that night, um, Adelaide finally tells Gabe as to what was happening and Jason tells um, Jason is a child um, alert to Adelaide and Gabe that there's a family in the outside. Now this is where things just go berserk. Because if you want to get crazy, we could get crazy. And the police are on their way. This is what Gabe says to the family that's standing there. And then the leader of the family goes ahead and makes some, some sounds like and everybody just spreads out. And the bigger person that was sit, like there with the family starts to advance towards Gabe. Gabe runs back inside and because of events that family gets inside which we end up finding out that the leader that made the sound is Red. Um, Red is Adelaide's doppelganger and she tells him a story about a princess and her shadow. Now let's pause real quick. Again, I skipped over a very important detail which I thought is very important, very subtle, very amazing. And that's the part where they're walking in the beach. When they're walking towards the white people, because it's actually important to the story. As they're walking towards the white people, um, we get an overhead shot of them walking in the beach. And we see them in a line, single file, from Gabe, Adelaide, I think it's Zora, and Jason. Zora is the daughter of the family. And we see their shadows walking, you know, like a shadow, walking slightly behind them off to the side, kind of like on the, I'll say the eight o'clock, right? And that's very important to know. So anyway, Red, Adelaide's doppelganger, tells them a story about a princess and her shadow and the relationship that they were having. So she tells them in a very raspy voice, and she's the only one that speaks throughout the entire movie as far as the doppelgangers are concerned. She tells them that 
Once upon a time, there was a girl and her shadow. When the girl was young, uh, she would eat and she would eat good food. But when the shadow was hungry, all she had to eat was raw and bloody rabbit. Let's pause. Now, if you watch any of the trailers, there's a lot of rabbits in the trailers. Even in the uh, in the splash, the black and white splash, you can see a rabbit or scissors or both, um, which is important. And then she goes on and tells them, when it was Christmas, the girl will receive, will, would receive wonderful gifts, but the shadow would only get cold, uh, what was it, cold, cold gifts that would cut her. Um, and then she said, um, then the princess would go ahead and meet her prince and fall in love. But the shadow did not have a choice. So the shadow didn't fall in love. So the shadow did not have a choice. But to be with what we learned to be uh, Gabe's doppelganger, his name is Abraham. Uh, Abraham, because it was the prince, the prince's shadow. So the princess fell in love with the prince. And the shadow had to do exactly the same with the prince. And then she says, then she bore, she got pregnant and she has a daughter, which is Zora. And the shadow gave birth. So she says, and then the princess gives birth to a beautiful daughter, but the shadow gave birth to a monster, a monster who smiled ever since birth. And then we look at Zora, and then we look at Zora's um, doppelganger, which we learned her name is Ombre. Now let's pause. Um, I thought that Ombre was a very, very odd name for honestly anyone. So I looked up the word Ombre. Ombre is the shadow. I was going to say the shadow of darkness, but that's not it. It's the fully shaded inner region of a shadow. So it's the darkest part of a shadow. That's what an ombre is. So that's important to know as well, right? And then she says, and then she gives birth again. She gives birth to a beautiful baby boy, which we know is Jason. Um, but they had to cut her up and take out the boy. The shadow had to do this on her own. And I named him Pluto. And Pluto was destined to love fire. Now, Pluto is a very, very interesting character for a couple of reasons. First, when we meet Jason, we see him playing with this little uh, thing, trinket that's supposed to do like a magic trick of some sorts. Uh, but if you look at the design of it, it's essentially a kind of like one of those old lighters that you just like flick and he keeps flicking it and it's not able to go off. Um, and Pluto plays with a match, literal, a mat, like he plays with matches. Um, eventually, uh, Red forces Adelaide to handcuff herself and um, 
Gabe is taken outside. Zora is told to run. Jason is told to go play with Pluto. Um, now, when Jason goes to play with Pluto, he's trying to... There's a very interesting moment that happens between um, Pluto and Jason. When he goes ahead and plays with him, he takes him to this closet. They sit in the closet. He puts a toy in the door so it won't lock. And they start to mirror each other. He tries to show up. First, he starts to show him like the trick. And then all of a sudden, they start mirroring each other. They start syncing with each other, which is important to know what's going on. They start syncing with each other. So when he raises his right hand, Pluto raises his right hand. And then um, Pluto kind of like before had put his mask down. Um, and that's where the sinking began was when the, both of the kids had their mask on. So then Jason goes ahead and removes his mask and sees that Pluto's face, half of his face. So from, if we're talking about forehead to chin, so from nose to chin it, or from the bottom of the nose, so the very beginning of the upper lip all the way to the bottom of the chin, all around that was burnt. Um, Jason freaks out, but he's able to control himself to the point where he eventually the little uh, the lighter flick actually works, scares Pluto, and then he locks him in there. Um, at this point, Adelaide and Red are having their own little discussion. Red is on top of Adelaide, crashing her skull kind of into the uh, glass desk. And then she hears her son, like, barking of sorts. And she goes to get him. Adelaide escapes and goes looking for Jason. And then they do. And then they escape. And they escape to um, the white friends that they had, which had their own doppelgangers, and they instantly got killed. Now, this is literally the beginning of the movie that I'm talking about. Now, this movie has a lot more events that happen throughout the story. And I'm going to try to... The reason I told all of this information and I explained some stuff is because I want you to go in there and not come out thinking this movie is terrible. It's not. I don't want you to go in there. Like when I first saw it, I was like, I feel like I got robbed. It was a great movie. I loved every scene of it, but I feel like I got robbed. I feel like there's stories that I got robbed of. There could have been so much more. This movie is already long, um, but it's good. So that's why I explained a lot of the things that were happening. And I will continue not to explain anything else now. So let's get into the rest of everything that was going on. Now, when we when we see Adelaide and Adelaide's talking to her husband about like um, feeling like she's being followed and all that good stuff, there's something that continues to happen. The beginning of this podcast and in the beginning of the movie, I told you that um, we see a sign saying Jeremiah eleven eleven. And then we see the clock that says 11-11. And then we hear in the TV when they're talking about the San Francisco Giants, they're talking about, I don't remember exactly what it was, but they mentioned the words 11-11 and Adelaide freezes at that point. That caught my curiosity the second time that I watched the movie. And I couldn't figure out why. Like, why is it that she's just stopping in the middle of, of everything and she feels like all these coincidences are happening. Now, there are four of them, right? There's Adelaide, Gabe, Zora, and Jason. When we are in the beach walking, and I'm going back to that overhead shot of the shadows, we see 
11. Why do we see that? Because they're walking in one in a single file line and they're one in front of the other clearly. And so when that happens, you see one, 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 or shadow, 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 shadow. So we see 11, 11 again. So I was like, this has to mean something. There, they can be. I remembered that back in like 2016, there's a movie called the 11, 11. And they, I was like, there has to be a meaning behind that. And I'm pretty sure that back in the day, I went ahead and I watched that movie and I looked up the meaning and like, it just made me uncomfortable enough that I knew there had to be something out there. And guess what? There is. Now, 1111. Some numerologists and New Age philosophies believe that events linked to the same time, 1111, appear more, more often than can be explained by chance or coincidence as an example of synch uh, synchronicity. Some authors claim that seeing 1111 on a clock is an auspicious sign. Others claim that 1111 signals a spirit presence. Now, there's an important line that she says when she's talking to Gabe and she's confessing the events of her life. She says, I feel like there's too many coincidences happening at the same time. And every time they happen, she is getting closer. Now, 1111 shows an important connection to your guardian angel or to your spiritual guide. This hour encourages you to reflect and increase your awareness through your subconscious. 11 is a master number which symbolizes a great energy which you must learn to control or else risk being overwhelmed. Uh, another thing that I saw that I thought was pretty cool about the 11.11 was uh, this, uh, which I said it before. Link to the time 11.11 appear more often that can be explained by chance or coincidence and is an example of synchronicity. Now, if you remember, tether means being synced. 11.11 is discussing about syn uh, synchronicity. So that's also important to note. Uh, and there's just like a lot more things about like the, the number 11.11. Now, another thing, going back to the scripture, therefore thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. They call the police when this happens and they got no help. Um, so that kind of like, not that I'm comparing the police to God or vice versa, um, but there was, there was no one was listening to them. No one was going after them. Um, also, I will bring evil upon them. The tethered are the evil in this in this instance, and so you can't you can you can fight yourself, but what good does that do sometimes, right? Now, there were other things that were important to discuss um, about this movie. Holy crap! What a movie! Um, it was just really really well made. It was interesting like I literally could not keep my eyes off the screen and there was just so much information to take in that I didn't need a second viewing just to be able to take it in and be okay with what, what I just watched and be able to like break it down and like know what was happening this movie just had a lot of commentaries about Number one, first and foremost, 
um, we are our own worst enemies. We are the ones that keep each other down, right? Um, we're the ones that tell ourselves, I can't do that without even trying, which there's, again, a line in the movie where Gabe is talking to Zora about running and telling her that she's like, what's the point of you running? She, he's like the Olympics. And she says, I can't get to the Olympics. And then he's, um, Adelaide says, you could do whatever you put your mind to. So again, an important message of we're the ones that put each other down. And Zora's counterpart, Ombre, runs without a problem. She runs really, really fast to the point that when Zora got exhausted and was, after she was told to run, um, gets exhausted from the running, she gets to this car that's parked and Ombre gave her a head start, gave her like a good, I'll say 200 yard head start. Um, if not more, and she caught up almost three seconds behind her and was still had the energy to like hop on a car and do things, you know. Um, she even passed her, and you can see it's very subtle as you as we have to focus on Zora, we can see on the left hand side of the screen how we have something behind that just takes a right turn or yeah, it takes a right turn in, on the screen. Um, and then we focus elsewhere and then we see that she is in front of Zora now. And I caught that on the second view and not on the first. So don't think, oh my gosh, he, has saw, he sees a lot. No, I saw it on the second time. Um, now, Hands Across America was this movie back in 1986, which where it's when the movie first takes place. Um, and a lot of things that happen are revolved around that Hands of America thought. Um, but not only is this movie showing us that number one, we're our, our worst own enemy, but number two, if you think about it, if you want to really like jump to conclusions, um, we see the tether are the minority, right? Those who are above ground or earth walkers or, you know, high dwellers, whatever you want to call them, us, our normal people that we see every day in the street, in the stores, everywhere. Um, we are the majority, right? In this movie universe, we are the majority. The tethered are the minority. And now they are coming up and they are standing in solidarity with each other against the majority. And I think this is an echo of a lot of the things that are happening today. Movements such as Black Lives Matter or any other thing, the Me Too um, movement, um, feminism, all these, all these things where the minorities are becoming one they are becoming one in solidarity against injustices um and i think that was a pretty cool kind of um echo of that right the minority becoming one in within solidarity against something so in the us movie universe is against those who they who they resemble and they are no longer going to be hidden away in the undergrounds, which if you listen to what the movie dialogue that the movie has said, there's a, a line that says, that Zora says, oh, did you know that the government puts flora in our water? And she's like, well, no one says anything. So she's like, I guess people don't care about the end of the world. Um, again, this is another echo to what was going to, or a foreshadow of what was happening then, right? People get fascinated. There's we see a news um, a news anchor and he's just fascinated by what's happening but doesn't care about what's happening, if that makes sense. 
So that being said, you know, a solidarity against the government because we know through the story that Red tells us that the tether started as a government thing and then they stopped funding. So um, they become one, they have solidarity against the government and the way they do it and the images of holding hands is because of some things that happened throughout the movie that I can't tell or else I'll spoil it for you. So just keep an eye out for that if you're going to go watch it. Um, aside from those points that I'm jumping all over discussing, this movie was awesome. Oh my gosh. It was so, so good to watch. It was so interesting and I really had no issue with it. Um, like I said, at the beginning, when I first watched it, I felt like I got robbed of a story, but afterwards, after watching it and focusing on what was going on, I was like, first of all, if you watch it a second time after watching it, clearly the first time you can't unsee what you saw the first time you can't go in there with fresh eyes and be like, Oh, I don't know what's going to happen, but everything makes a lot more sense the second time around every little movement that was being done by any character um the the silence the dialogue everything makes so much more sense when you watch it um because of the the conclusion now is there a twist in the movie there is and i think there's more than one twist and that's up to you to find out once you find out those twists go ahead and hit me up on instagram hit me up on twitter uh, real bearded news and i will be more than happy to discuss with you if you don't understand the twist or you don't know what the hell you just watched because I, I that's how i felt instantly after coming out of the movies i was like what the hell did i just watch and i'll tell you what the hell i just watched i just watched jordan peele become one of the greatest masters of horror he is a master of horror now like there's no there's no doubt about that. Um, he's a great comedian. And you know what? Comedy has another side of that coin. And it is, you know, drama and horror. I think those two go together. I actually think that comedy and horror are two things that are very similar to each other. They're the same coin, just a different side. Um, and I think Jordan Peele just showed that to the world. That he doesn't have to do a racially acclaimed movie to go ahead and be considered one of the greatest directors, producers, and writers of our time. He is no Spike Lee, and I think that's awesome. I think that he he's just amazing. The way he thinks, the way he manipulates the audience, so great. I mean, my original process thought of the of what was happening and then was first of all was correct. And then all of a sudden, as the movie progresses, I changed my mind. Like he manipulated it to the point that I changed my mind and the movie no longer became predictable. And then we get our predictability and you're like, wow, I saw it coming without seeing it coming. It's just, it threw me for a loop and I love that about it. Um, so... Should you take your kids to go watch us? Uh, probably not. Um, I wouldn't take my six-year-old to go watch this movie. I did take my 13-year-old to go watch it because she's a preteen and she could handle it. Um, 
but I would not take any a child that's not a teenager to go watch this film. Take them, take the teenagers to watch the film. Hopefully, they understand it and see what they could come out of with this movie. Uh, teenagers are in a very interesting place uh, during these times where everything is a struggle and it's just a lot more difficult to find yourself. And they try to go ahead and define themselves based on what other people want to define them. So this movie is going to be great for them for the, for them to be able to choose who they want to be in life and stop putting those struggles on themselves. Um, should you go watch this this weekend? Today is Friday. So should you go watch it this weekend, whether it be today Sat or Saturday or Sunday? Hell yeah, it is worth all of the money. So like I said, I watched it. As the advanced screening, which I don't pay for, and I thought it, I needed to go watch it again, and it was worth me paying for it, one hundred percent, no doubt about it. Go watch it again. It's go watch it, watch it once, watch it twice. It's great. Um, should you take a date with you? Hell yeah, dude! This is a movie where you should go watch with people and then discuss, um, discuss about it. It's so good, um, and it's beating. First of all, it's beating the hell out of Captain Marvel. I could tell, I could guarantee you that. Um, and that review is coming up next, Captain Marvel. Um, but yeah, it's going to beat Captain Marvel hands down. It already beat A Quiet Place as far as like tickets that were sold opening weekend and another movie that I can't remember right now. But um, go watch it. It was good. It was well made. If you want to discuss it with uh, with us here in Real Bearded News, go ahead and Hit up the Instagram, hit up the Twitter, Real Bearded News, um, and we'll keep watching movies and we'll keep reviewing them for you. I say that this movie gets a solid, I know that on my Instagram post I said a four out of five, but after thoughtful consideration of everything that it made you feel and think and the views that you have now of the world, I give this a solid five out of five, which is the first horror movie in Real Bearded News history that gets no. A Quiet Place did. A Quiet Place got a 5 out of 5, but that's more science fiction. So, first horror movie that gets a 5 out of 5 in Real Bearded News. So, go check out Us by Jordan Peele, one of the greatest directors, writers, and producers of our time, and a great comedian as well. Jordan Peele, good job, man. I, holy crap, you're creating things that are so out of this world. But, that's it for us today for... um. As far as discussing us, don't miss out our review of Captain Marvel. See if our predictions were correct as far as how well it was going to be made. And in the meantime that I keep watching movies and telling you to go watch it, don't forget to keep reading those comic books, keep watching that anime, and above everything else, rock and roll, guys. What's better for me? You got your problems, and girl, I got mine. Don't you worry, it's gonna be fine.